Hello, I'm Carolyn Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night's a Blockbuster, the podcast about our favorite movies from the 2000s. You sort of let the cat out of the bag last week with your <laughs> final remarks of the episode. After I said it I, and we finished, I was like, oh yeah. And I was like, well, let's see if anybody picked up on it. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, no surprise, no shock, in uh, honor inspired by... David Fincher's upcoming movie, The Killer, which I'm hopefully going to see tomorrow night. Really? Yeah. It's playing down at the local playhouse here. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So I'm I'm sort of making sure I block that <laughs> time, time <out>. off <laughs> so I can go down. Um, but yes, in, in, inspired by that, you know, his newest release, we are going back to September 20th, 2002 to talk about Panic Room, his sort of other B movie genre movie, which I I imagine is what the killer is going to be. I think the killer is going like it's. I don't think he's going for the Oscars on this one. Oh, okay, is that what you mean by B movie? A, a B movie is not like it's. It's kind of a little bit lesser in maybe quality, but when you give a movie like that to somebody like David Fincher, he does make it better. Okay, he elevates it, but it like. We'll get into Panic Room, <laughs> but I think Panic Room and The Killer, like from what I've been able to watch from the trailers, I've sort of gotten this vibe that it's sort of like, oh, he's just making a Hitman movie. Like, there, I don't think there's going to be big social commentaries going on. I don't think there's going to be, if you compare, you've now seen Panic Room and we will get into it, but if you compare Panic Room to The Social Network, like The Social Network is a movie where it's like, that might be the best movie of the decade. Yes. And like he's really stepping the game up to maybe not to win awards, but like awards were sort of in the conversation. Whereas with something like maybe, Panic Room. Maybe he aspired to them or yeah. the back of his head, something like Whereas that. Whereas okay. with something like Panic Room, with something like The Killer, I think he's just sort of like, no, this should just be a fun experiment. Let's yeah. just go have a good time. I just want to make a, a different kind of movie. I just want to make a movie. Yeah. And so I, you know, that's why we decided to hold off on Panic Room until now for The Killer. However, during the mailbag episode a few weeks ago, you said that one of the movies that you've never seen before and you would like to go back and watch now so that you're sort of part of the conversation a bit more was Fight Club. And so seeing as we're doing one Fincher movie, might I, as well make it two. Yeah, <laughs> I sort of thought, let's make it two. Let's, let's get you another challenge and get you to watch Fight Club. So you watched that this week. I didn't rewatch Fight Club. No. Uh, I've seen it enough over the years. But I'm just really curious. Like, what did you make of Fight Club? Because not only is it probably a different movie for you, it's a different movie for a lot of people. Okay. <laughs> it's like, have I missed the boat on this? It's genre? like, it's quite transgressive <laughs> on purpose. Okay. Like um, he, he wanted to ruffle feathers. Yeah. So I will start by saying I knew nothing about Fight Club. Because I was never a part of the conversation, I then either turned my brain off when people were talking about it or just left the conversation, whatever. So I was watching it one night with Chris and he looked at me and he's like, do you know what is going to happen? I said, no, I have no idea. I don't know anything about it. He's like, oh, he's like, I'm really glad now I'm watching this with you because he also loves the movie. So I will say at the start, I thought something was wrong with our download copy, um, because there was random flashes <laughs> yep. in inserts. And I was like, wait, is that... I actually had to rewind once or twice to be like, did I actually see somebody 
standing there in the support group with him? Or, like, was that just... Yeah. Like, a, oh, glitch. a glitch or something. And after I pointed it out, Chris looked at me and he's like, oh, that's what is Brad Pitt's character um, and stuff. He's like, I've never noticed that before. And I was like, well, it's because I'm watching movies all the time now. I'm picking up on things. Um, I didn't realize you got to... M- I knew the big thing of Fight Club. Like, I knew Brad Pitt was in it and I knew Edward Norton was in it. And they met and became friends like they were there was a story between them i kind of thought the fight club had already been established and edward norton's character came into the fight club i didn't realize he starts it he starts it yeah then didn't realize that it transgress or like it moves away from a fight club into total anarchy (laughs) anarchy and riots and vandalism yeah that i wasn't expecting um and then yeah the big twist i actually did predict about halfway through you, you saw that coming i did see that coming okay. yeah did it still work for you even though you kind of thought it might be happening yeah it was like, did it still surprise you yeah to the extent of it all i guess i when we were watching it it was after brad pitt and helen bon bottom yeah. carter yeah um have sex for the first time and she kind of says something and I'm just there being like, I don't think something's weird here. Yeah. Like something's funny. And then they made note in the movie that the two of them are never in the same room together or something. And I was like, wait, like. Well, that, like the two, the two guys are never in the same room with Marla. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was kind of then being like, I, somebody's not real. And for a little bit, I actually thought it was Edward Norton. Right. I thought he maybe was. A figment of imagination or something. Something was weird with him. Um, but yeah, when it was then revealed and they do kind of the few flashbacks to show you Edward Norton fighting himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and things like that. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, that makes that makes sense now. So were there any things that like shocked you? Because I think it, it was quite a shocking movie at the time. Not necessarily like like you were okay with like the violence and things like that or was that like too much for you it was definitely too much for me but with a movie named fight club like it comes with the territory it comes with the territory so i was prepared for it in a way i don't i'm not a huge fan of that amount of violence and blood and things like that but i also know you signed up for it in a bit with a name like fight club so so fight club like you know, you've now seen, I imagine now, a couple, a few Fincher movies. I think so. Seen Fight Club. You'll have seen Panic Room now. You've seen Social Network. Yep. You've seen, uh, what other ones? <laughs> you've seen Zodiac. I was thinking, like, what other Fincher movies have I talked you into doing on a podcast? <laughs> uh, you've seen Zodiac. I imagine you probably haven't seen Seven. No, I have not. I don't think you've probably seen The Game. Uh, no. Have you seen Gone Girl? Yes, you did yes, see Gone Girl. Yes, I did see Gone Girl. we saw Gone Girl together. <laughs> yes, you did see Gone Girl. I did see Gone Girl. Um, um, I've seen Benjamin Button. Okay. Uh, did you watch Mank? I never watched Mank. Okay. I never got into Mank, partly because it's all Citizen Kane. Well, it's, right? it's like, the making of Citizen Kane. Uh, yeah. Or the so, writing of Citizen Kane. Yeah. So I kind of said, like, if I haven't seen Citizen Kane, probably shouldn't see Mank yet. Like, Well, we can change that. <laughs> we can fix that problem. <laughs> um. The other one that I never saw of his is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 
I ha- okay. I've never seen it either. Okay. So, which is another one that I don't know if it's in my wheelhouse. Like, I don't know, but. I'd say half of it is. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, like half of the story is really just like a murder mystery. Okay. They're, they're trying to solve a murder, like a 40-year-old murder. To get there, there are some things that are you're going to be a little <laughs> squeamish about. But but really, like, I, I, I just wanted to know how many you'd seen and what you'd seen. Because I'm curious, like, where you would put something like Fight Club. Probably in the middle. Okay. Probably in the middle. Yeah. I enjoyed, I really enjoyed Social Network. It's probably my top one. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the story of Gone Girl. I don't necessarily remember all of, like, his director choices. Right, right. Um, but the story of Gone Girl I enjoyed. And then, once again, Benjamin, Benjamin Button, I think I really enjoyed as well. Right, so okay. he's probably in the middle. Okay. Probably the ones that are at the bottom of yours. Well, <laughs> except ben, social. Ben, Benjamin Button definitely is. Yeah, ben, I don't really like Benjamin Button. Um, but... Social Network's the top. Social Network's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. that's my favorite one that he's ever done. Um, I think the thing with Fight Club is that it's like a really like misunderstood movie. Okay. In, yeah, I was going to say, in what way? Like particularly with young men, they watch that movie and like all they take from it is like, let's start a fight club. Oh. And it's like, that's not... That's, that's not, not what, what they're he, trying to tell you. That's not what he's... <laughs> he's actually telling you the complete opposite. Yeah. That like, this is not good. But it's 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 that misunderstood way that like something like The Great Gatsby is misunderstood. Like people throw Great Gatsby themed parties, and it's like that's actually the opposite of what the book is trying. Like this yeah, opulence. He threw, he threw big parties because he was lonely. Yeah, like the, like that. That's <laughs> and he pined for somebody across that's the water. The complete opposite <laughs> yeah. of what the party in the book is yeah. trying to say. And it's a little bit like that with Fight Club. Like, Fight Club's all about, like, you know, sort of unchecked toxic masculinity and, and things like that. And it's like, like, yeah, these are not good. Like, we shouldn't be starting Fight Clubs inspired by this movie. Uh, we shouldn't be going out and blowing bu- blowing up buildings. Yeah. And, like, you know, because of this. Like, it's not cool. He's not telling you that it's cool. Yeah. But then the flip side of that is other people watch it and they're just like, oh, this is, like, a really, really deep intellectual movie. And it's sort of like, mm, not really either. Like, I, it is a movie about I, guys beating the shit out of each other. So, are you, so, do you kind of land in the middle? I kind of land in the middle of, like, it's really entertaining, but it's also, like, it does have some ideas. It does have yeah. some messages that, you know, Fincher wants to talk about. And, you know, this, this idea of the, like, 25-year-old person who's, like, come out of college and gotten a job and they're sort of planning for the rest of their life where it's sort of like we shouldn't really be doing that like the whole consumerism commercialization of it all like that i think is what he really cares about where it's like how do these companies how do they make us feel like we need to go and get that couch yeah and then i get that couch and like that's my couch and i never you know what i mean like like how do they how did they do that yeah and so i think like for me because i tend to prefer late period fincher like more his more recent stuff unfortunately like fight club isn't one that i necessarily go back to all that much and especially if if i'm gonna go watch a movie from this sort of era from like his like first few movies i'm going to seven because really? i think seven's a better movie i enjoy seven more you just upgraded seven didn't you yeah yep <laughs> i enjoy seven more than fight club but like i'm really splitting hairs here oh, okay you know what I mean like 
I've said it before, like Fincher's my guy. He's my favorite director. He's been my favorite director for a really, really long time. And so like, what does he have? 10 movies, I think he's got at this point. Yeah. 11, 11 movies. Alien 3 is bad. Alien 3 is very Just bad. bad. Okay. Yeah, like that's his first movie. And it was basically taken away from him from the, by the studio. And like they meddled with it. And so it's it's not his version of the movie. It's not their version of the movie. It's kind of nobody's version. And so therefore, oh, okay. it's, it's just, just lo- not good. It's just lost. Yeah, and, it's just okay. not good. There are like good things in it. Especially if you're a Fincher fan, like you can watch that and sort of be like, oh, that's where that started. And, you know, you can trace some lines, but it's it's not a good movie. Yeah. Benjamin Button is one that I just like do not go back to at all. I've seen it two or three times in my life and it's sort of like that's enough. There are like some really, really cool like technological things that he's yeah. doing in that movie. Like there, there's famously somebody counted it up or somebody found the numbers or whatever. And, like there's more special effects shots in Benjamin Button than there are in like Star Wars, like in the most recent Star Wars movies. Oh, wow. Because every shot of Brad Pitt is, is a special effect. That's fair. Yep. You know what I mean? And so like there are just, so like the things that he does with technology are like really, really cool, really, really, really interesting. But like from a story standpoint, I don't really care. Basically the other nine movies, I love. Okay. You know what I mean? And like with the exception of Social Network and Seven and Zodiac, they're kind of interchangeable. Okay. They're kind of interchangeable. And so maybe just depending on the mood, the day. Depending on the mood, depending on how recently I've watched them. Like I watched Panic Room more recent now than the game, so the Panic Room is higher than the game. Oh, okay. But if I watch the game tomorrow, the game will probably jump ahead again. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's just how it goes with with Fincher. So yeah, like thoughts on Fight Club. Final thoughts on Fight Club. Like, are you happy that that you've now seen it? Are you happy that you understand what people have been talking about for yeah. all these years? Yeah, I'm glad to kind of like I said, the extent of me really knowing what it was all about was the rules. So now to have a bit of context of it all kind of makes more sense. So, Well, we can move on to Panic Room because you've now broken the first two rules of Fight Club. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Tyler, I will say, Tyler Durden be coming for you. <laughs> well, I will say when I did log it on Letterboxd, it does prompt you saying... Do you really want to do, do this? Do you really want to do this? Yeah. I was like, well done. Well done. I fucking love that site. Like some of the small things are so clever. You're just like, God damn it. Like that, but that's how you know, like the site is made by people who love movies. Yes. It's not just made for people who love movies. It's by people who love movies. So yeah. Panic Room. Fight Club. Good. Thumbs up for Fight Club. (laughs) Yep. Moving on to Panic Room. Yep. I had this thought when I was rewatching Panic Room. Okay. That. I think you may have found this more scary than the others. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I thought probably, you might. Probably splitting hairs like you've said and stuff. But yeah, like this was, I spend a lot of time by myself in a house. <laughs> yeah. I didn't totally remember sort of how intense, especially that like those first few scenes when they first break into the house. Yeah. How intense the sort of fear of Jodie Foster is. And like, you can feel it. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and sort of her desperation and, and, and then like, oh, I'll get into the panic room. And she, you know, it's, it's the rush to get into the panic room. I had sort of forgotten a lot of that. (laughs) And so, um, like really we're doing this episode because of the killer. 
we just happened to be doing it the week after the others where I was watching this and sort of being like, oh, there's a lot of similarities here. Yeah. Except this one doesn't feature ghosts, which I don't think Kate cares about. This is just like men breaking into a house, which might be scarier. (laughs) A little bit. I think you, we tend not to talk about the movies before we really pick them. You maybe give me a bit of a synopsis just to kind of have an idea of what's going in, what's going on. You did warn me for this one that they tend to, they break into the house within the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And then it is two hours in of the them, yeah. of them trying to get into the room. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> like, so I did kind of prepare myself that, not that the scary stuff, but maybe like the fear inducing part of it yeah. would be right off the start. And then I could just kind of like sit in that fear a little bit. Or like that uncomfortableness. Because I think if it took them an hour to get to the panic room and all of that, I then would have the anxiety of like, well, are they going to make it into the room? Like right. the movie's called Panic Room, but maybe the whole story is they never actually make it to the panic room. Like, and like, that's where they would have been safe and all of that. Right. So like. Well, so it's funny that you say that because it's quite interesting that the movie sets the panic room up as this like castle keep. It's like, yeah, you get in here and you're good to go. Not the case. They get in there and like, they're no less, they're only safe from like physical violence. Yeah. Like they have no escape. They have no way of alerting the outside world. They basically have no rations. They have, and it's like all these things and you're sort of like, oh, like. And the people outside the room can still influence the room. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's sort of like, "Hmm, I don't know if these panic rooms are really (laughs) cut out for, you know. Not maybe what they're what they're worth here, but what just like let's go broad here for a second okay. though. Like, what did you think of Panic Room? How did you find it? Um, if we just said Fight Club was kind of a thumbs up, Panic Room maybe is like a thumb sideways. Okay, okay. So yeah. so what worked for you and what didn't work for you? There were too many like artsy shots and like with the camera with the camera. Okay. That's quite literally like my favorite part of the movie, but, but keep going. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like the artsy, like the flowing into like the following of a pipe or something, yeah. like all of those. That was, I think because I had watched Fight Club the night before and then watched this and I knew it was the same guy. They're, they're quite different. I was just like, oh, you like really changed. Yeah. Like, they're pretty different. They're pretty different. I have... If you had had one of them in Fight Club or something like that, I would be like, oh, okay, you're just progressing. Like, yeah. you're figuring out your style, your niche of doing things. I was just like, you've had like a switch. Like, something switched in your life that <laughs> this is what you want to do now. So that was a bit much for me. We've talked on end about how I put myself into the situation. So, like, yeah, that I wasn't necessarily a fan of. Um I then had slight flashbacks. We came home from a soccer game last night and like there were cops all around the street and stuff. And I was kind of just like, "Mm, really wish I had a room to go hide in now. Like (laughs) I did enjoy that it did. It was two hours. Yeah. Because I think it could have been a really quick movie if they got into the panic room and then the three guys were like, well, we're never going to get in and either leave or, oh, we're just going to like take a blowtorch to the door or something like it could have been a really quick movie, so to see the robbers, as I kept referring to them, having conflicts within themselves, yeah. then makes the story more 
interesting for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, like, there's obviously the conflict of the three guys and then Jodie Foster and Kirsten Stewart in the room. But because they can't physically get at them. Yeah. You then need to make other conflicts. And so Jodie Foster and Kirsten Stewart have their own sort of mini episodes of what's going on in the room. And the three guys have their own thing. And like, I think it's a really good sort of conceit in the, in the screenplay to have the three guys there for kind of three different reasons. Yeah. And they're not buddies. They're all just there out of the fact that like this money is here and I need some of it. Yeah. So like, I'm going to have to team up with these other two psychos, but like, once the job's done, I don't want to see them ever again. Like they're, they're not a crew yeah. that go around rob houses together. Like this is a one-time deal because as we find out, Jared Leto's character knows about the money and like he knows that the money's there. Yeah. And so he's recruited these other two guys to come help him get it. We find out that he hasn't been completely truthful. No. But yeah, I think I think it's it's a good way to sort of not make the story too stale because like you're saying there, you can't have this movie where it takes them an hour to get to the panic room. No. So they need to get there quickly. But once they're there, you've already set up the fact that like they're kind of safe. And so then you can't have an hour where nothing happens. Something else has to happen. And like the movie then basically centers around the panic room and Jodie Foster's bedroom for yeah. the most part. Like yeah. you then are kind of in two scenes or like two sets. So once again... There needs to be something else to kind of drive the story, move the story yeah. along. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I probably enjoyed the conflict between the three guys the most. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, like, the. it's funny you say that because I actually was wondering about Jodie Foster and Kirsten Stewart's dynamic because I think it's really good. I think they play a really good mom and daughter team where you can tell, like, there's a lot of love there, but there's also some, like, tiredness. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're, it's set up that they're going through, or Jodie Foster anyways, is going through a divorce. She's obviously got custody. She's not happy at the current situation. The kid's not happy with the current situation. They're kind of, you know, she's entering those teen years where she's both really, really smart, but also a little bratty and childish. Like, you know what I mean? Like she's kind of in that middle zone. Yeah. She's probably been exposed to a few things that she probably shouldn't have been exposed to at that age. And you can just tell that they they have their own sort of language in terms of like, I love you, but also like kind of shut up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, can you just be quiet and leave me alone for a little while? And, um, but like when they, when they get in that room, like they have to be a, a unit, they got to be a team. And then obviously Kirsten Stewart's, um, health issues yeah. rear their ugly head, but which like, again, is like set up pretty early on, like. The thing that I always come back to with this movie is that it's a pretty tight script from David Kep. Like he's so he's the guy who wrote like Jurassic Park and stuff like that. Oh, uh, okay. And like it, it's not sort of reinventing the wheel in any way. Like if you watch a lot of these movies, it's doing a lot of the things that all these other movies do. It's just that he then got a director like Fincher who's sort of like 10% more creative than your average yeah. person, your average director. You know what I mean? Where he can take stuff like this and just sort of be like, okay, okay. So there's a little bit of, you know, I think it's diabetes or whatever. Okay. Like I'll just two or three shots, a couple lines of dialogue about like, you know, that's enough Coke. 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get a quick shot of the, of her, of her watch early on so that it's there in the back of your mind. And then once they get in the room and, and then we can have sort of a ticking time bomb yeah. of her blood sugar going down and down and down. And then you're sitting there being like, oh, fuck. I don't think I picked up on the Coke um, at the first watch. Now that you've said it, I was yeah. like, oh, that makes sense yeah. now. At first I thought it was just kind of the mom being like, That's hey, enough. kid, like. I know, but like... <laughs> but it's such a good little moment because at first she tells us that that's enough. Yeah. And so you on the first time watch, you're probably sitting there being like, yeah, my it's mom's just, my mom's told me that's enough yeah. pop. I'm sitting there knowing where it's all going, being like, <laughs> oh, fuck, like there, there it is. That's the first seed. That's the first seed. But then to what I'm saying about there's this like shared language between the two of them. When Kristen Stewart talks about the, the husband's new girlfriend, and Jodie Foster kind of shuts it down, doesn't really want to talk about it. There's a bit of a pause, a bit of quietness, and then Jodie Foster takes Pour. more of the pop and yeah, puts and it. Pours it. And you're sort of like, oh, that is you being like, thanks. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I understand, even if you're a bit bratty with me, that you're on my team. You're on my side. You're on my side. Like, yeah. I get it. So, like, you know, thank you. And like, yeah. and pours a bit more. And you're just like, oh, that's so good. I think I picked up on her health things. A couple scenes later, when she's putting her to bed, yeah, and I saw the mini fridge, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's like that's nice of you." And they have it opened, and I can kind of see the vials there, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, yeah, that's why." Like, there's water, there's juice, there's yeah. medicine. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Oh, okay." Yeah, and so then my first thought was, "Well, I know you guys are going to get into the panic room at some point. Just grab a vial, grab a vial before you run." But no. like, you don't have no, no time. time. No time. <laughs> so, but, e- but even even to that, like, she takes the bottle of water. And puts it on the nightstand, obviously, because Kristen Stewart's character needs water during the night or yeah. might need water during the night. But then that's the bottle of water that she uses to wake her up. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, like this is, it's quite a tight script. Like, again, it's not Academy Award winning <laughs> levels, but it is sort of like there's a lot of thought and intentionality in terms of like, if we're going to do something, it needs to then pay off later on even if it's only 10 minutes down the road like it needs to you know what i mean like there's there's all the things about um she's a little scared of the dark yeah and so the mom you know turns on the thing or whatever but then once the guys break in what's the first thing what's the thing that he notices that's sort of like oh there might be people in this house it's the nightlight yeah in the bathroom and it's like yeah that's her bathroom so of course it would have a nightlight in it yeah and it's like ah oh, there's a lot of just really good you know Really good small things where it's like that just really elevates this from your sort of schlock that you would have Yeah, gotten. what I was trying to figure out the first time, and part of this is the way I was watching it again, the TV screen just kept getting really dark on the dark scenes. So I ended up missing kind of some of the details. Yeah. When we were first introduced to the robbers and they're kind of walking the outside of the house and it's raining and it's dark and stuff like that, are they locking the doors or unlocking doors? When they first arrive? Yeah. They're trying to get in. They are trying to get in. Okay. Yeah, could... but the doors have been, the locks have been changed. Changed. Okay. Yeah, because Junior, Jared Leto's character, miscalculates the number of days. Oh my God, that, when he, when that scene happened, I was laughing so hard. Yeah. Because I was kind of just in my head being like, I can see where your logic is, dude. I can see it, but like, it doesn't make sense. Well, so like... <laughs> As, as somebody who is now, like, in my job, I've had to tell people, 
like 10 biz, like 10, 10 days, 10 days, 10 yeah. days. And then, and then, and then reiterated being like, actually it's, it's 10 business days. It's not 10 days. It's 10 business days. And it's like watching it this time. I was like, Oh, I can see, like, I can see it. I can see what he <laughs> thought the situation was, but yeah, I just, I, I just like, yeah, there's so much of this movie where it's like, this is actually really funny. And it's, it's mostly with Jared Leto's character because he's such an idiot. And like, I, I know I've criticized him before on the show, but he is pretty game, I think, with somebody like Fincher to sort of be like, use me however you want to I'm use gonna me. I'm going to be kind of a bit of a fool if you yeah. want me to be. Well, because like even so in Fight Club, like he's the blonde guy. He's the blonde character. That's Jared Leto. Oh. That's Jared Leto. And so like in, oh that, my God. in that movie, so when he made that movie, he had just made that TV show that made him famous, My So-Called Life or whatever with, okay. with Claire Danes. Where he's like the high school hottie. Yeah. So he was like a teen beat, whatever. Jesus. Okay, I didn't like, recognize like, him. <laughs> like cover idol, right? Yeah. And so then David Fincher's like, yeah, I'm going to put you in this movie, but I'm going to beat the shit out of your face. Yeah. Your face is going to be mangled the entire time. And he's like, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm game. And then this one, he's like, yeah, you're going to be an absolute idiot oh wearing cornrows. Yeah. oh my god and he's i'm down i'm down and it's sort of like i will give him credit for that where it's like he obviously recognizes that if i'm just in these movies being in a picture movie says something it's a good thing and so yeah unfortunately junior is if junior is the brains of the operation you're in trouble well so at first when i'm first introduced to the robbers i immediately know that he's clearly kind of connected the three of them together yeah like he's picked the team but then i did start to as they're interacting and trying to get into the room i was kind of like oh you're not the leader of the group like well you think you might be yes yes he thinks he's the leader yeah. but i was just like one of the other two are <laughs> like, well what, what you get is that the other two are just way more capable robbers yeah because what we eventually learn is that Forrest Whitaker's character designs the panic rooms. And so he knows, like, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily know a way to get in because there is no other way to get in. You know, he comes up with a few schemes that might help them. But he understands how they work. Yeah. And so once he is inside the room, he knows what's going on. And then you get Raul, who, because he's a wild card, he's just liable to do anything. So he will push the envelope because he just wants that money. And then you get Junior in the middle who's like, doesn't know how the panic rooms work, is really pretending to be this gangster character. You then find out that he's like a rich kid. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, so you're really putting this on now, which like makes it even more fake. Like the cornrows already looked ridiculous, (laughs) but now they look even more ridiculous. And so, yeah, you you do quickly learn that sort of like he might have... He might have been the one who's sort of like, I know about this money. We can break in. We can get the money and we'll we'll part it up three ways or whatever. But then, you, yeah, like you're saying, you quickly realize like, oh, no, this guy's he's the expendable one. Yeah. Yeah. So about these camera movements that you didn't like, <laughs> just okay. like because. <laughs> they are your favorite part of the movie? Well, they're one of them. They're okay. one of them because I'll say so because the script is so kind of simple. Mm-hmm. Like it is. Three guys break into a house yeah. and they want to get into a room that the two women have barricaded themselves into. Yeah. It's like, 
That's kind of the whole movie. Yeah. Right? And so it is a pretty simple idea. It's a genre movie, so it's like it's got these like Hitchcockian thriller elements. David Fincher's certainly playing those up. But for me, like the camera stuff is like where he sort of is like, that's not in the script. Like the script wouldn't say the camera just sends three levels and like shows you the bedrooms and then goes to the window to show you the rot and then back to the other window yeah. to show you those and then up to the sky. Like that's not in the script. So that's Fincher just being like This is my I this is my area to fuck around and yeah. have fun with. And like I still am like blown away by some of the stuff that he does. Like some of the ways that like he establishes the whole geography of the house so that you know where all the rooms are and you know like if they go down these stairs then like they're this level below where the women are and you know she's got to get up there and then there's the elevator and like that's how you know all that sort of stuff like i love that i love that stuff because i always come back to like this idea that in lesser hands this movie would be nowhere near as sort of tight and taut and you know exciting and scary as it is that like in the form that we have because Fincher was the one who got his hands on this. Yeah, I think for me, they set up, like, your thing there is the geography of the house. You yeah. Kind of, you get the layout. They did that at the beginning with the realtor. Sure. Like, the realtor yeah. says, the first floor, you've got the casual kitchen and the casual kitchen uh, living room. And then you got the formal and another room floor with this and the servant's room and that's where your kid can sleep and this is your master room and this is the panic room. So for me, like... They had already established the layout of the house, which I also, by the way, sounds awesome. I want to live there. That yeah. place looked gorgeous. Um, that, was, that was like, that's all one set. Yeah. Like they just built a four floor house. House? Set. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, because like he wanted to be able to like move walls and things. Yeah. But yeah, so like for me, they had kind of already established the geography of the house. So for me, the artsy camera then just like... Just didn't add anything for me. Okay. So. I It's it's not something that he normally does. Like, this is this is kind of very different from what he normally does with the camera. Like, no, normally what he does is that the camera is so locked on to the character that if the character moves, the camera will move. But yeah. if the character doesn't move, the camera doesn't move. Well, that's why I was trying to remember back. Because, like, this would have been an early one of his. So. He then goes on to do Gone Girl and Social Network. And, like, I don't remember kind of these flowing no. cameras. I, I think it, like, it, it works in this setting. One, again, because it's because it's so simple. Not like, it, it didn't work for you. And that's, whatever. That's fine. It's wrong. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm allowed to have my opinion. It's wrong, but it's fine. <laughs> but I think because it's so simple, he knows that he needs to kind of zhuzh it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I think with a lot of the other movies that he does, it's sort of like the story's a little bit more complex. So he doesn't want to distract you from from what's going on. But like in this one, like especially like the, the big camera move, the big shot to sort of establish everything once the, the three robbers show up to the house. Like I think he's doing that as a way of sort of being like, here's the tension points. Like, She's asleep on this floor. She's asleep on this floor. They're trying to get in on this level, they can't. They try to get in on this level, they can't. You know what I mean? Like, okay. And then, and then, and then going back to be like, she's still asleep. You know what I mean? Like, she's still there. She, you know what I mean? And I think it is. It works for me as a sort of like 
a ramping up of tension to sort of be like, this is where they are and this is where they are. Like, just so that you don't forget that yeah. this is this, like, we're, we're talking about a pretty tight space. Like, it's a big house, but it's still just one house. Yeah. So, yeah, like, it's a, it's a pretty tight spot. And, like, he just doesn't want you, I think, to lose sight of where everybody is, especially when the two women are in the panic room. And it's sort of like a big deal then becomes, where are the three guys? Yeah, that's true. We need to know where they are to know what's the threat level if they try and get out of the panic room. Well, yeah, because they do have the one shot where the two women are in the room. The two robbers are kind of, I would say, on the basement or the second floor or whatever. And they've lost sight of the third one forced what a yeah. character yeah and so they do for a second think oh we can get out here and get the phone i think is what she's yeah. going for yeah. that time yeah and then he appears kind of at the corner of a camera so i did like and it would make sense to have in a panic room i liked the cameras in the panic room because it was kind of a nice way to see the other rooms yes yeah. yeah and stuff um and then for most of the movie to not have the ability to talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, that is that is so on this one, I never really picked it up. I don't know if I was ever really maybe not paying as close attention or whatever. On this time around, I was sort of like, how does Fortis Whitaker's character not know about an intercom? The intercom in the bedroom. Like he there's the big thing about the intercom when they're on the other floor mm-hmm. and she's talking to them through through the panic room PA system, or whatever. But then at the end of the movie, she talks to him through the intercom in the bedroom. Yeah. So I'm like, why didn't he just go there immediately? Like, he built this system. So, like, there, there. trust me, there are a few things in this movie <laughs> that don't make a whole lot of sense. The panic room crushing Raul's hand after so much had been right? okay. set up in terms of being like, if, a, you know, if anything is blocking the door, it will not close. If there's a pillow on the ground, like, they show you, like, scrambling the pillows and the blankets yeah. off the ground so the door will close. And so, like, while Raul's hand's right there, like, how did that close? It's like, there are definitely things about this movie okay. where it's like, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. I had a question about that. I then just chalked it up in my head. They showed that there was two lasers. Yeah. So there was kind of a laser at his head and uh, he said feet. Uh, his feet or his ankles or something. And I was like, I guess Raul's hand is just like, between the lasers yeah, but that's so like not really how that works like that's such that would be such a bad design to be like either you block these two very specific points or this door's fucking slamming shut it's sort of like it's not exactly how like an elevator works um but that's how i kind of i was like yeah. maybe this is their their logic I, for this movie so I think, but the only thing i could understand was that because they'd had so they'd made so much of this door slamming closed like yeah you, by this by the time it crushes raul's hand it's closed five or six times right and like there's always that shot of like whoosh and yeah. it closes and i think fincher was just like somebody needs to get maimed by this thing somebody needs to get hurt somebody's by the gonna door. get caught yeah and and i think kept the writer was sort of like well that doesn't really make sense but fincher was like just trust me like it just needs to happen it's not going to make sense for the story, yeah. but it'll be an action moment where, you know, we can physically disable one of these robbers. And so, like, it kind of works, but it but if you think about it for three seconds, you're like, wait, how did that happen? Yeah. So, you sort of, you got to let it go. <laughs> you just got to let it go. I really liked Forrest Whitaker's character. 
I Speak did. Speak on them. I did. Because um, I think for most of the movie, I could kind of see a conflict in him. Like, he wanted, he agreed to be a part of this team. He wants the money. But the minute he realizes that there's other people in the house, or that people have now moved in, he immediately is kind of there being like, I'm out. Like, yeah, it's kind of, this might not be worth it. This isn't worth it now. If it was an empty house, sure. Nobody would know. We're fine. And stuff. And so, like, he tries to leave and then Raul with his ski mask. I yeah. was just like, don't like you. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, like, Ra- Raul from minute one is sort of, like, who the fuck is this guy? Which is why it works. Yeah. Like, because cause you have so many questions about him. Like, I... I there's no way his name is actually Raul. No. Either. At the, you know what I mean? At the same point. Like, that's that's a name that he's made up. But, like, he brings a gun to a home invasion where he was told nobody would be there. Yeah. So, he's showing up to this job assuming it's only going to be the three of them. It's so like, was his plan to kill Shoot them? the other two? Oh, yeah. Like. Oh, yeah. And so, again, it goes to. He also only signed up to get 100000 Well, yeah. Out like, of. Well, but that's because... At the time, the three million. Yeah, so. that's... Yeah, well, but even then, uh, who knows if Jared Leto's character told him it was three million. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he probably said, show up here, help me out for a couple hours, and you'll get a hundred grand, right? But, yeah, and then we we find out that there's a lot more than a hundred grand, <laughs> uh, and there's a lot more than three million. Oh, poor dumb Jared Leto. <laughs> oh, he's such an idiot. He's such an idiot. He's so good. Um, he's so good at playing that. Yeah, but, like, so the Forrest Whitaker guy... I just, I enjoyed that, like, they gave him a conscience. Yeah. And he was conflicted the entire time. And when the two guys end up in the room with Kristen Stewart and she's had her diabetic seizure and everything. And he's kind of just there being like, do you actually need this? Like, are you going to screw me over if I help you? And she's like, I need it. Otherwise, I'm going to be in a coma and I die. And he's there being like, nope. I like... You can't let that happen. I can't let that happen. Yeah. So he breaks in and then he takes the money and tries to run and eventually comes back and, you know, shoots Raul in the head. And I was just like, well, well done. Well, it's a, like, <laughs> and then he gets caught and I was like, like, you need to get caught because like you've done horrible things, but like. <laughs> he still broke into this house. <laughs> but like, I'm kind of hoping maybe Jody Fa- Jody just like talks to the judge and says like, do you know what? Give him a little bit of a lesser sentence. Well, so here's the here's the thing that I liked about it, like, because he that's a pretty like archetypal thriller character, like for like these types of movies where it's like the bad guy with actually a little bit of a conscience, and yeah. you know he's he's doing bad things, but maybe for the right reasons, and you know ultimately you can kind of then be like, how does the movie come down on it? Like, does the movie let him get away, or does the movie say like, no, 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 you were still breaking the law you need to be sort of held accountable or whatever the thing that i like about panic room is that at the end of the movie when he comes back to ultimately save the family from raul yeah um before like because like raul definitely would have killed all three of them oh yeah like without question all three of them would have died if raul was left to his own devices i think that's why he had a ski mask on but the minute his ski mask came off and they all saw his face. Oh, they're dead. They're dead. They're dead. They're done. They're gone. They're dead. And like to be to be fair to them, Jodie Foster clocked that pretty quick. Yeah. She's like, they're gonna kill us. Yeah. Like even though they've gotten into the panic room and they're gonna get whatever they want, they're not walking out of here. But back to Forrest Whitaker, like I enjoyed the fact that 
He has a little bit of a moment with the Kirsten Stewart character because they've established something in the panic room. But Jodie Foster never, like, stands up, oh, thank you. Yeah, no. She never does that. She never gives him, like, a little nod, like, a little smile and, like, you know, whatever. Nothing. Because it's, like, in her mind, she's, this guy still broke into her house. Yeah. Has traumatized herself and her kid. Yeah. Like. Kept her hostage for however many hours. Stood by while they beat the shit out of her ex-husband. Like, he's still not a good guy. No. And so I do like the fact that, like, there's not there's not even a hint of anything from her to him of being like, you know what? Actually, you're not so bad. And, you know, who knows what ends up happening to him after the movie. He obviously doesn't get away with the money. The the that's a main, It's another part of the movie where I don't like where he had the stuff stuffed into his uh, work overall jumpsuit and he pulls it out and then lets it go. And I think that he only does that so that they can get the shot of like the money literally flying away. Yeah. And being like, all of this was for literally nothing. Yeah. Um, Which sort of like, you just leave it there and like the cops would just take it off you. That's true. But I like, I I, I do like his character and I, I like, Forrest Whitaker as a as an actor like brings a lot to that role in terms of you can tell like there is a lot of conflict in him yeah and he says it a couple times and Jared Leto's character says it to him a few times being like you're doing this for your family like you know whatever but like for custody lawyers for, or yeah something. but I like at the was... same time we don't really fully learn why he's there yeah they kind of just say a pretty quick Simple reason, but we never get like a tragic backstory. We never get a like, oh, you have to turn to crime because of this or. Which know, once again, like. It's good. Like, the story's not about them. No. So like having just the one or two lines, it's for your custody lawyers. You're kind of like, okay, like. But also like. It maybe just, you've done something. Yeah. But like, I don't necessarily want your whole backstory because I don't want to feel bad for you. No, exactly. You're exactly. the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, but for him to ha- be the guy that has the conscience, like you need. A few little things to kind of just be like, well, like maybe he's done something like whatever. So, but I think, I think too, like we don't necessarily need all that stuff because it's Forrest Whitaker. Like I think we are already bringing goodwill towards him because people like Forrest Whitaker. So like you don't need to then double down with all this extra stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and so then when you contrast him to Jared Leto, people might like, Jared Leto. I, I don't like Jared Leto, but people might like Jared Leto. But then when you dress him up in the way that he's dressed up in this movie, you're sort of like, oh, like this guy's a I, I really loser. don't like Jared Leto. Yeah, this now. guy's a loser. And then you get Dwight Yoakam as Raul, where it's like, because he's under the ski mask for the entire time, he is just sort of faceless. Yeah. And you there's no chance of having any sympathy for him. And and so like it, it works to have these three relationships, these these different dynamics in this group of of robbers, right? Yeah. Do you like these types of movies where it's like one set, one like this all takes place basically over one evening? Like, do you like movies like that where it's it's kind of like a little bit of real time? I actually really enjoyed it because I think if they had been a movie, like if this movie had taken over twenty four hours, I would have been like, well, unrealistic. Like, this needs to be done. In one evening. In one evening. Yeah. Like, I think they break in at one something. And, like, yeah. it's all kind of resolved by 4 or 5 a.m. 
So, like, I was, in my head, I was like, this makes it realistic. Especially because Kristen Stewart and the diabetes. Like, she would, her sugar would drop if she was stressed and wasn't getting things. Like, so once again, if it had gone on longer, it wouldn't have been realistic for me. The backstory with Panic Room is is a little famous because, like, you just watched Fight Club and, like, Fight Club takes place in many locations and like yeah. he goes around the country and all this sort of stuff and like they don't need to do that and like fincher very famously was quoted as saying like so much of that movie was him waiting for trucks to be unloaded so that they could get a shot and then move on to like another city and so like that movie took a long time a lot of energy to to film and put together and so when he got the script for Panic Room, he was like, great. It's one location set in one night. They're obviously going to take longer to film it. But that was like the selling feature was that like, oh, there's one place. Yeah. I just, it's one set. And like, and then he talked to the studio or whatever into building a four story house set. It's like, oh, we don't, we don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. Like, this is it. And then they got on set and they started fucking around. And all of a sudden, this really simple, easy shoot lasted way longer than people oh thought. And, you know, it turned into a little bit of a nightmare to put together because I think there was so much stuff, in, especially in terms of those shots that you don't like where the camera goes through the walls and, and yeah. you know, all over the house. There was a lot of stuff in terms of like it wasn't coming off the way he wanted it to come off and he can't unsee what he sees okay and so like he has a vision for the shot and the scene and the movie and he'll just keep going till he gets it and so like there's a lot of backstory with this with everyone sort of being like this was supposed to be a really easy movie and it turned out to not be very easy at all and so like there's a little bit of that playing in the background too so, like, I, I think they they all probably took a lot of joy in the scenes and the moments where, like, they got to trash the house. Because I think frustrations were, were running high with everybody. Well, I would say, like, we've kind of talked about another director, I'm blanking on their name, that does take the time to make sure that the scenes are what they want them to be. Right. And very particular about the background actors and all that kind of stuff. And, like, you then know that it's a good movie. They've taken their time to make it what they want it to be and perfect in their way. So then you can kind of just sit back and enjoy the whole thing. And you're not, other than our few little oddity nitpicks. (laughs) It's not a perfect movie. I'll come back to it. It's not a perfect movie. Like it's sitting about eighth or ninth for a reason. So So like it is kind of sitting like you can just enjoy it and say they did what they needed to do to make the movie that they wanted to make. Yeah. So, if it meant that it should have been filmed in a month because they're not traveling, they're not doing a whole lot of things. It's all set at night, so they don't need to worry about different lighting and all of that. And it took six months to do? Well, it took them six months to do well, that. Can you imagine working on this movie for six months? <laughs> not a you're chance. Kristen Stewart or Jodie Foster, it's like, yeah, this movie, you're going to be stuck in this like tiny, tiny room for the next six months. Like, Just the two of you. Yeah. Have fun. Have fun. <laughs> Wait, what did what did you think of Jodie Foster? Because originally this was Nicole Kidman. She had been cast, 
and they had started to kind of work with her. Like they had started to like plan shots and she'd come in for like lighting things and whatnot. And then she, uh, I think she, or she had already hurt her knee. She'd already injured her knee. And then she re-injured it either during filming or, or while filming was happening. And so she had to bow out. So then Jodie Foster kind of came in real last minute. For me, I hate looking at her list. I haven't seen a whole lot that Jodie Foster has done. The only other one that I really remember her in is Fight Flight Plan. Um, oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so, like, for me, this movie just reminded me of that one. Like, right. I find them very it's similar. Also, it's a thriller as well. Like, It's a yeah. thriller. It's about her, like, in that one, it's her kid gets kidnapped. Take, taken on a flight. Like. Yeah. And stuff. Like, so for me, I know her as kind of this mom role, protecting yeah. her kid, doing what she needs to do to protect her kid. So for me, it worked. Right. Um, whereas I think with Nicole Kidman, I've seen her do so many different things that like maybe this would have really worked, but it wasn't necessarily a loss for me that right. it wasn't her. So. so she, like, I think the original idea with Nicole Kidman was that she was going to be a little bit more of like a trophy wife to begin with. Oh, okay. And then slowly, you know, become more and more a bit of an action star, like how the movie ends. Whereas when, when Jodie Foster came in, they, they tweaked that a little bit. But I, I really like the fact that, like, Jodie Foster at the beginning of the movie is kind of broken. Like, she's, like, yeah. going through this divorce and she's quite clearly, you know, rudderless a little bit. Whereas then by the end of the movie, she's, like, fucking bad bitch yeah. you know what i mean like she's walking around with sledgehammers and Hitting shit like that in the face. and you're sort of like holy fuck like okay like to me jodie foster really sells like the physicality yeah of this character in a way that i think nicole kidman could do but i know jodie foster can do that's fair and so for me it it does always it works with jodie foster i quite like jodie foster and um she's made a lot of movies i've enjoyed but Nicole Kidman is still the Nicole Kidman is the voice of the the girlfriend. So uh, when they call the husband, that's Nicole Kidman that that answers the phone originally. And so then we get that you know, listen, bitch, <laughs> put my husband on the phone. It's like, oh, okay, Jody's not fucking around. Did you did you enjoy that scene where they kind of swap bodies in a way? So like they yeah. beat up the ex husband yeah. and. You think that's him up in the bedroom. And the minute that happened, I was like, oh, that's not. Yeah. They, they've, like, they've done a switch here. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, I think you got to be weary <laughs> when they were so like the three robbers, like if we really want to go with another nitpick, <laughs> why didn't the three robbers break the cameras when yeah. they realized well, people were in the house? Them, I think one of them says that. Yeah. They were just like, why didn't we do that? Why didn't we like, do that? And it's sort of like, yeah, it, that would be quite literally be my first idea. But when they finally cover the camera. Yeah. And then you can hear a scuffle. And so I would immediately be weary of like, why did they cover the camera? Like they'd been so willing to be on camera this entire time. Why did they finally cover the camera now? So yeah, like it is telling that I think, like, Jodie Foster doesn't even go to the body. Like, when she leaves, the body's on the bed. Yeah. She kind of, like, 
Steven? Like, she kind of, like, looks at she looks, him. And, she sees the code and then is kind of just like, oh, my kid needs the drugs. Runs like, off and gets the drugs. Because I think, like, they wisely know that, like, if she had even touched the body, yeah. she would have realized. Like, you, intuitively, you know. It's a B movie. <laughs> like, in my hands, this movie is, like, not good. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. But, like, in Dave Fincher's hands, it's like, this is pretty fucking good. So, like, that is the difference, really. You know what I mean? Like, nine out of ten other directors, this is, we're not talking about this movie 20 years later. But because it's him, you're sort of like, ah, like, there is stuff going on here. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? There is some craft. But any anything to say about the end of the movie? Anything to say about how it all does eventually wrap up with with uh, the ex-husband showing up? And I, I was interested to see that he is quite older than Jodie Foster. Yes. Because then you're sort of like, was she a trophy wife? <laughs> At some point. 20 years earlier. Yeah. And now she's been like replaced by a, yet another younger woman. Like, yeah. is he just is he just like starting franchise families? You know what I mean? I don't know. I think I could see like the very last scene of the movie where it's her and her daughter again yeah. sitting on a bench. I did chuckle because it's like they're only looking for places with like doormen. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Apartments. <laughs> and apartments. Yeah. <laughs> not houses. They're not looking for houses now. And stuff like that. I did. I did laugh at that. But I also. I would have been okay if they didn't have that. And like the last scene was kind of the robbers are gone. Like Jody, I think the last scene with Jodie Foster is kind of her just like sighing. I think because it's kind of she probably was holding her breath. Oh. For the hours. entire time. Yeah. So, like, for me, like, that's the release of that movie. The last scene is cute, but, like, I don't know. I think I, the last scene's pretty important because the movie is really claustrophobic. And, like, the way that he films it is claustrophobic. Like, he's always showing you the ceiling and the walls. You never, like, you know it's a set, but because he's showing you the full construction, you are like, oh, they're boxed in here. Like, they're in a tight spot. And... That last shot in the movie, the camera is pulling away from them, showing you this big, wide open That's world. Fair. And sort of like, oh, they did, they got out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and while we know in real life, there's probably a lot of trauma and therapy <laughs> needed for those two ladies. Um, I think that's the movie indicating like, they're going to be okay. Yeah. They, they, they'll be fine. And so I, I think it is important. And like you're saying, like it is it is quite funny once you realize what they're talking about. Like they're talking about yeah. apartment buildings with doormen. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'd be looking for too. And I think not I think they are in the upper west side or something. Yeah. And like they're not they're not looking there anymore. No. What no. <laughs> out of there. So I was just thinking kind of I don't know if I would have been as clever as Jodie Foster's character. In the panic room. Like the idea of going and getting her cell phone and then stripping wires oh, yeah. to hook up the other one. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they made her clever, which I really liked because she could have easily just sat in the room. Yeah. And, and like just, somebody would have noticed at some point that. Yeah. Like, hey, oh, fuck, the phone doesn't work. I guess we're screwed here. Yeah. We'll just right? wait it out. So. Uh, but I, but I, I liked that sort of both of them. Came up with things. Came up with plans. And like, yeah, yeah they didn't work. But like. They didn't work because outside influences stopped them from working. Yeah. Not because the plan was stupid or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like the 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 flashing light on the neighbor, they do stop 
fly, which I'm always sort of like, keep, like, he's looking at the window. Like, yeah, keep, why are you yelling? Nobody yeah, will hear you? exactly. Like, I don't know if they know that it's raining outside yeah. and there's a storm, but, like, that's when you keep flashing the light. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, there, there is that moment. But, yeah, the whole thing with the phone, um, the thing with the propane, <laughs> it's been a minute, that's not how that works. Um, but... <laughs> It is a cool visual moment, I guess. Do you I know guess. how this, have you tried this? No, I haven't tried that, but okay. like, that's not how that works. Like, it doesn't like shoot backwards into the propane tank. And make and, the propane tank spin. And... Yeah, like that's not how that works. Um, if anything, it would just like, because it's like a continual stream of propane. It would just like light, like she would be fucking burned to a crisp. Because <laughs> she's quite literally standing in the propane gas. But yeah, like, I think it's way more likely that the panic room would have blown up than what we eventually do see in the movie. But again, would have made for a quick movie. Yeah. Would you want a panic room in your house? Um, I'm back and forth. I like the idea of them because I've seen them in other movies. But the idea of potentially being locked into that small room is also a little, like, yeah, terrifying. <laughs> so... Maybe the idea so that somebody's like, uh, they've got a panic room. Let's move on. We don't need to attack that house. It's like having the <laughs> the clamp on your steering yeah. wheel where it's sort of like, oh, they've got that. I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whether or not the thing's actually yeah. engaged. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's just the idea of having a panic room. Maybe yeah. I put a little sticker on the door. I have a panic room. Just move on. <laughs> Would you do? Would you get a panic room? No, fuck no. I'm, I'm meeting those guys in open battle. <laughs> Me versus yeah. Raul. Me and my sledgehammer versus Raul and his gun. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but... Not yeah. well for you, I think. I'm not running into no room. That's not happening. No, I, there's a the little part of me where it's sort of like, I know that this is not how this works, but there's a little part of me where it's like, I think if you had a panic room, you would get broken into. Okay. You know what I mean? Whereas if you don't have it, like it's kind of like tempting fate a little bit. Yeah. You know, if you prepare for these things, then they will happen. So maybe I just won't keep a floor safe with twenty-two million dollars. Yeah, exactly. That it. might be a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's what will stop them. <laughs> How fucking angry would you be if you were Jodie Foster? You'd be like, God damn, that was under there the whole time. Well, so like, they don't know what's in there. That's the other thing. Is yeah, like, they, they don't no know what these guys are trying to steal. Yeah, they have no idea. I then was trying to figure out if the these three robbers had never broken in. Eventually, maybe they go into the panic room again to see what's there, hook up the phone, do whatever else is in that room. And they come across the safe. They figure out the combination. They get it. That money's not theirs. Yeah, it is. The, whoever holds, whoever has possession of bear bonds, that's... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it's always like the thing in the movie. Oh. Because it quite literally is just possession. Oh, okay. I thought you would have had to give it back to no, the family. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's quite literally who has possessed, like, that's why there, there's something along, like, I might not be 100% okay. sure, don't <laughs> quote me on this, but there is something to do with the bear bonds, which is why it's always used in movies, because it is quite an easy thing to steal and sell, because it is all about possession. Oh, Whoever okay. holds physically it, has holds it. it, controls it, and owns it. And so, like, that's why it's always, 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 always used in movies. But, yeah, like, you got to think, like, they're never, ever finding it. No. It's under a carpet in the floor. Like, they're they're never, ever finding it. So, then my other 
question watching it this time was kind of like, okay, the three guys break in. They realize the two ladies have moved in and they're now in the panic room and they need to get into the panic room. Yeah. How unlikely do you think it would have been if the three guys were just like, okay, cut our losses, leave that night and come back a week later? Yeah. Like how much more security do you think Jodie Foster realistically would have put into that house? In a week. In a week or whatever to make it more safe. But if you're still breaking in with the guy who built the panic room, ultimately he still knows what's going on. And like she can't make the panic room more impenetrable. Yeah. Like it is or, what it is at this point. Or just rope Jodie Foster in. Twenty-two million split four ways. Well, listen, yeah, like is we, still a good amount of money. She's like, sing, single mom going through a divorce and going back to school. She's gonna need some cash. Yeah, Book, like, books are expensive. Just rope her in on the deal. Yeah, <laughs> you throw a hundred grand her way as well. Same with Raul. But but like I think that's that's the good thing or or the interesting thing with the movie is that. Jodie Foster immediately is like, because they tell her like, we just, we need into that room. Yeah, you're but they never the say, they never say why. They never say why, but they say like, you know, you're what in What we the want room. is in that room. What we whatever. want is in that room. And so I think presumably you would have that thought of, okay, well, they've come here for a specific thing. I'll let them in here. They can take whatever they want to take. Yeah. It's not mine because I haven't really moved in yet. And, and then they can, they can leave. But she immediately goes into that mode of like, they will, I think at that point, they wouldn't have killed her. No, I would say if she ran in, they had their little talk with the signs and stuff. And she was just like, do you know what? Come on. Like. Come on in. Yeah. Take what you want to take and get out. Because Raul's face was still covered. Raul's face is still covered. <laughs> I don't think that they would have killed them at that point. But she's gone down that road of yeah. thinking that they will. And then there is a tipping point where it's like, now they will. Like, it's gone on too long. Now they definitely will. And so at that point, you're sort of like, well, now you can't let them in. Yeah. Are you going to watch any more Fincher movies? I'm interested to see The Killer. Okay. I'm interested to see his new one. You really want me to go see this week? <laughs> well, like, this I, week? You don't have to go see it this week. I think you probably <laughs> should see it. Um, But yeah, I think... Based off of the trailers and stuff and just kind of us talking, apart from this one, and like I said, if you take out the artsy things, I actually, I enjoyed the movie. I do enjoy his things. So like, I'm interested to see more. So. What you've got left, Seven, The Game, Alien 3, you don't need to watch Alien 3. Okay. So we've got Seven, The Game. And Mank. And Mank. Oh, and Tattoo. Right. Dragon okay. Tattoo. So yeah, you've like seven and Dragon Tattoo are like tough. Okay. They're not fun movies. But you've already watched Zodiac That's and true. Fight Club. That's true. So like you kind of have already seven might be a little bit more intense than those two movies. Um, Dragon Tattoo is is definitely interesting. Did you but, read the book though? Because it's based on a book. Yeah, I've read the I've read the first book. I I gave up halfway through the second book. Okay. Um, I didn't really love the first book enough to really kind of push through. Um, I do really love the movie, though. I so the do, movie is better than the book? In my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in my opinion, he kind of streamlines things a little bit better. But with the game, so Mank, you need to watch Citizen Kane first. You need to know yeah. what Citizen Kane is up to to really understand that. So we can facilitate that. 
the game though, the game is like, it's another thriller and it kind of plays with your mind in terms of like, I, I won't give away too much. I won't tell you too much, but like Fincher instinctively understands kind of film language in a way, in a way that I think most directors of his caliber definitely do, but he's way more mindful of utilizing it. And so one of the things that he talks about in a lot of his movies is that he will not, or he will sparingly use close-ups. Okay. Because he understands that like, if I do a close-up of, of a glass of water, that's quite literally me screaming out, pay attention to yeah. this glass of water. That's fair. He doesn't always want to do that. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't, so like he'll use it very, very, very sparingly. However, in the game, quite literally about a game, but the whole thing with the movie is that the character and you, the audience, doesn't understand how far reaching and how big this game actually is and who's involved and who isn't involved. And so what he does in that movie is he cuts to close up all the time. Okay. All the time. So that you sitting there are constantly thinking, well, how does this play into the game? How does this play into the game? And a lot of it doesn't play into the game at all. So kind of that misdirecting. He wants you to sit there and be like, but wait, this thing. And like, how does this tie to that? And so like, those two are unrelated. Okay. And so he's doing that all the time in the game. That one sounds interesting. And so I think you would, I think you would really enjoy the game. Um, I think you'll like Mank once you get there. (laughs) Seven and Dragon Tattoo, they're tough. They're tough, but uh, they're really good. Really so maybe good. spread those two out. Maybe, like, <laughs> don't don't lump the two together and then the other two together. Maybe, you know, break them up a little bit. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's I'd say that's it for, for Fincher and, and Panic Room. And, and you know, you, you made it through. Two weeks in a row of home invasion yeah. type movies. Especially centered around mothers and daughters. Yeah. But you made it through. Made it through. So I did say when we tried to figure out next week, I said, I need something light. Yes. And so we we have picked a light movie. Yeah. About monsters. Yeah, that's fine. It's light movie. (laughs) But I think I've set you a challenge for next week, haven't I? Yeah. Are we telling everybody the challenge? Yes. Do you want it to be a surprise? We can tell them. So next week's movie is a Pixar movie. Yep. That we've both seen. Yep. And we both really enjoy. The challenge, though... Is for you to watch other Pixar movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's for me to fill in some Pixar gaps that I that I, I definitely should have by now. Well, I think one, I will say, is Turning Red, which I've, has been a challenge yeah. for you before. Yeah, I think I've, I've said about 10 times I, <laughs> that I would watch the movie and then I just didn't. Yeah. So I will do it by next week. Yeah. So, and then am I giving you, you have two Pixars. Yeah. And then our podcast episode. Right? And so then the other one is Briar's first movie that she's ever watched, which is Inside Out. Yeah, but how much of that did she actually watch? All of it. Like, actually paid attention yeah. to it? The whole way through? Yeah. She sat, we had dinner, she sat and was watching it during dinner, and then we had, I don't know, another half an hour afterwards, and she pretty much sat and watched it then. So, okay. Briar's first movie. Okay. <laughs> I'll watch it for her. I'll watch it for her. But, yeah, so next week will be all about Pixar. Yep. But until next week. See you then.